Tonight, from bonds to crypto to 401ks, here's what the day's headlines mean for you. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Steve Sprovec. You know, once a week or so, we want to do a headline whip around because there's a lot going on out there. And we've got a number of headlines that have caught our eye throughout the day today. Joining me now is Andy Schaefer, a chartered financial consultant for our Allworth Financial team and a regular here on Simply Money. Andy, I, I think the first thing I want to talk about is there are major, major events going on in the bond industry, and we, we don't usually pay attention to bonds. Bonds aren't as um, sexy or as attractive for most investors. Um, you know, there's a, it's a good way to hedge your overall portfolio of your stocks. Um, They're kind ten- of a shock absorber. We, that's, that's the way I think of it. Yeah, and, you know, they act inversely to stocks in general. But what we've been seeing is, um, you know, the bond market right now is, is starting to hit a two-year high. Uh, the yields in general, you know, the stock market gets all the attention, but, you know, the bond market is important too. And, and, and in fact, the bond market is a lot bigger than the stock market. So it's going to have a yeah. significant effect not only on um, investors' portfolios, but also with the economy in general. Well, here's here's the reason I pay attention to bonds. If I'm working with a retiree, most of uh, the people I work with that are retired have 40 percent, maybe 60, maybe even more uh, of a percent of their accounts in in bonds. And, you know, they they go up and down. Also, it's kind of like a CD comes due and you get your money back. Well, bonds come due and and you get your principal back. But if you buy a 10 year bond, it's going to go up and down in value before it comes due. And, And that's it's like a teeter totter. If interest rates go up, the value of that bond goes down. Nobody wants your bond that pays 2% if they can go out and buy a 3% bond. So you're going to have to drop your price if you want to get rid of it. And even if you're not selling it, it's got a price. And and, and that's the reason that's important right now is the 10-year Treasury, Andy, uh, it's gone from 1.5% yield to 1.8% yield in about a week. And that's in the world of bonds. That, that's huge. And that really affects your 401k, my 401k, anybody who's got money in bonds. And the thing about it is, is there's there's a reason why these interest rates are starting to increase. You know, we've everybody's very aware of the inflation that we've seen over the last six months to a year. It's, it's yeah. incredible what the, where the inflation is. So, you know, our Federal Reserve and Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell, you know, they need to com- combat that inflation to some degree. Well, what, what are some of the tools at their disposal? Well, raising interest rates is one of the primary tools that they can use to combat that inflation. So, you know, just back in October, you know, and a lot of times we look at the predictions of, you know, what are the interest rate increases going to look like over the next six months to a year, for instance. So, you know, just back in October in the fall, you know, we were only anticipating about maybe one rate hike for the year 2022. Well, you know, just in December, yeah, this, we're starting to look at, you know, three to four, and now they're calling for maybe four to five this year. So Yeah, that one to two went the way of transitory. <laughs> you, you right, know, it's, yeah. yeah, that's what they were talking about in the beginning. Yeah. That's long gone. I, I mean, today they're even talking about maybe a half a point increase instead of a quarter point increase. And, and that's a big deal in, in the world of bonds, you, you know? So, Yeah. There real, are some real sil- important stuff. There are some silver linings there. Um, you know, one thing about uh, interest rate increases is that, you know, I know a lot of people are looking for houses right now, and, and housing prices and interest rates run inversely. So as the cost of borrowing increases, you're going to start to see prices for things like houses start to come down, for uh, for instance. And in addition to that, uh, another silver lining to interest rate increases, it gives the Fed additional ammunition. If we start to see recession risk probability increase, that allows us to ease later on because we have a little bit more wiggle room as interest rates increase as well. So 
Um, yeah. That just adds another, you know, a few other arrows to their quiver when we do start to see recession risk um, percentage increase. But right now, it's still fairly low. So I'm not overly concerned about it at this time. And I think if you've got money in a 401k, which I hope is everybody listening, um, if you're not sure what percent you've got in bonds, it's a good idea to maybe get a rough idea. I'm not saying you shouldn't be in bonds. Bonds are an important part of just about everybody's portfolio. But maybe understand, do you have long-term bonds because they go down the most during rising interest rates? Or are you using the money market or a guaranteed investment contract or short-term bonds that tend to be invested? that tend to be affected less than long-term bonds. And if you're not sure, sit down with an investment advisor and, and ta- have somebody that knows what they're, uh, what they're doing take a look at it so that you understand what you can expect during rising interest rates. Andy, we've also seen the price of oil uh, go up. I, I, all you have to do is fill up your tank and you're going to see, wow, <laughs> where'd this come from right. in, in the last couple of weeks? Well, you know, what we've seen with the price of oil is, is a number of things. You know, there's a lot of geopolitical tensions um, that are driving, you know, some of the uncertainty. You know, we've recently seen um, some drone attacks from some rebels from Yemen with the uh, United Arab Emirates, and that's yeah. a concern. We have Russia building up troops on the Ukraine border. You know, so th- those two particular countries are major suppliers for the overall um, oil capacity that we have throughout the world. And one of the interesting things that I've that I've noticed is that. You know, we thought that oil demand was going to fall during the pandemic. And, you know, on average, the world consumes about 100 million ba- uh, barrels of oil per day. And that's yeah. higher than where we were last year at this time in spite of the pandemic. So the demand is still there. There's geopolitical tensions. Um, you know, the United States no, no longer is a major player in the production of oil. So you're seeing, a, you know, a, de- a decrease in the supply, but the demand is still there. Well, you, you know, and, and I think international tension is always going to be there. I, I think people are just fed up with the pandemic. They're moving on and, and you know, they're driving and, and, you know, traveling as much as, as they did pretty much pre-pandemic. W- what shocks me is, though, that, that we went from a, a net importer of oil for decades to an exporter of oil um, up until about a year ago. And, and now we're back to being a net, uh, a net importer. And, and that's hurting us because there again, international tensions means we might be at the whim of forces that we have no control over. You're, you're listening to Simply Money tonight on 55KRC. I'm Steve Sprovac along with Andy Schaefer. And we're talking about some of the headlines that we're seeing over the course of the, the last couple of days. And, and some interesting trends, Andy, with cryptocurrencies, not just Bitcoin, but uh, Ethereum and, and my favorite, Doggy Coin, Dogecoin. Um, <laughs> we're starting to see people actually using their cryptocurrencies for things like first-time home buyers. I suspect that these statistics may be a little misleading. Um, you know, if you've been I have a pe- hard time believing them. I well, really do. I, I think so. You know, when when cryptocurrency was fairly affordable, you know, three to five years ago, you know, it's possible that we have seen a, a lot of investors that were able to get in at smaller prices, and now you know, crypto is significantly higher. However, over the last three months or so. Uh, Ethereum and Bitcoin, they're down about $20,000, a a significant amount. So I think when we see these statistics about people buying homes for the first time with crypto, it's likely people that um, got in early and were able to cash out a significant amount for that down payment. I would be surprised if there are people that have bought it lately that are turning around and using it for a home home purchase because it it really hasn't had much growth lately. 
But I, I think the early adopters were the youngsters. I right. mean, the Gen Zers, you, you know, and guess what? They're at the age of, all right, maybe it's time we settle down and think about buying a house. So I think it's kind of natural, but I, I just have a hard time believing that 12%, and these are the numbers that we're getting, 12% of first-time home buyers are using cryptocurrency. That's the same percent as we've seen in years past of people using gifts, mom or dad giving you a little bit of help on on the down payment. That's a, that's a big number. That, that really is. It's it's a little bit high uh, yeah. from my perspective, too. I, I'm, I'm fairly shocked by that. And the other thing is is that if you have cryptocurrency, the other thing, it's not like it's not like you're just going to the bank and using a deposit to, to use your down payment. No, you're not right? giving them a little coin called a Bitcoin. <laughs> right. You have to convert you know? this, right? And yeah. you know, whether it's a lender or a title company, they want to see the proof of the funds. But cryptocurrency accounts don't always provide monthly statements like a bank would. So a lot of lenders um, you know, will expect borrowers to cash out their crypto investments early in the process, convert yeah. it to cash so that they can use it as well. And, and we all know how volatile the price of cryptocurrencies are. Um, if you paid any attention to the markets lately in Bitcoin and Ethereum, for example, um, extremely volatile, and they've taken a big hit over the last few months. Yeah, mortgage lenders aren't known as being on the leading edge of new trends. <laughs> you, you know, right. if you've ever applied for a mortgage, you've got to fit your your square block into their square hole and nothing else works, you right. know? So if it, it's almost like, uh, you know, can you use a piece of art for a down payment? Right, you can't no. use a Van Gogh to use a down purchase on Exactly, you, you know, so I, I think some lenders are trying to, um, they're trying to move into this area and, and allow crypto to be used, but we're not, it's still the Wild West. I, I mean, that's all there is to it. You know, we're also seeing some some big changes in the 401k market. Um, a, a lot of employers that had to scale back during the pandemic and maybe cut out their match or reduce their match, um, they're starting to turn around and, and not just go back to where they were, but maybe even increase the match. Yeah, I think, you know, what we're seeing, and Stephen, you and I have talked a lot about this yeah. um, over the last few months, but, you know, employees have the leverage right now. And, you know, there's such a demand for for good workers, there's a lot of creative ways that companies are trying to not only attract employees, but retain the employees that they have. And and one of the best ways to do that is increase your benefits. And so what we're seeing right now is a number of companies are putting more into their employees' 401k retirement accounts um, to try to attract and retain staff with the high turnover that we have. So, you know, let's say, for instance, you know, during the pandemic back in, you know, March of 2020, when all of that began, you know, companies started laying off employees because they really didn't know what the future of their company was look like was going to look like. And yeah, they, they might scared. have cut back on some of the benefits because they didn't know what payroll was going to look like, their profitability, all those types of things. Well, now it seems to be, in spite of the fact that we have the Omicron variant, it seems like the economy is still going to remain open no matter what at this point, and we're going to have to learn to live with it. So these companies now are all fighting each other to retain employees and continue to hire quality employees um, to add to their payroll because it's there is such a demand and employees do have the leverage. So well, I'm, I'm glad to see that this trend and hopefully it's there to stick around a while. Yeah, we, we've seen it with Facebook's parent there. They were offering 50 cents on the dollar of your first uh, 7%. That's pretty standard. You know, 50, 50 cents on the dollar of the first six or seven is is what you and I generally see in, in the industry. Uh, they've increased it to dollar for dollar match up to the first $10,250. That's huge. And that, that gives you an idea of you've got fewer workers, com or more, uh, fewer workers competing for uh, jobs out there, and it's a lot easier to attract 
employees if you have a good benefits package. And, and I think more and more companies are waking up to that fact. If you can't listen to Simply Money every night, subscribe to our weekly podcast, The Best of Simply Money on the iHeart app or wherever you find your podcasts. Coming up, sports betting could be a big cash cow for Ohio. That's ahead in three minutes. How much the latest estimates say the state could rake in. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Steve Sprovac. Ahead at 643, how saving just an extra $1,000 a year can make a difference down the road. Ohio just recently legalized sports betting, and now the question is, how much revenue is that going to produce for the state? Joining me now is Andy Schaefer, a chartered financial consultant on the Allworth Financial Team. Andy, this is big business. I mean, you love sports, I love sports, and, and Ohio passed a law not in effect yet, but a friend of mine, Steve Watkins, at the Cincinnati Business Courier and old guy playing baseball like myself, <laughs> um, he's done a, a pretty deep dive into this, and there's some big dollars at stake. Yeah, he's reporting that bets will generate about $90 million a year in state tax proceeds within the next five years, which is unbelievable. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons behind that. Um, you know, Ohio had to kind of get in line, too. The, you know, we started to see in Indiana and Kentucky and neighboring states yeah. that sports betting was going to become legal. So, obviously, we don't want to see that revenue go across the borders, um, you know, and leave our state and, and fund, you know, projects in other states. So, Ohio got a, is a little bit behind in that regard, but we're starting to see that turn the corner. And, you know, I think we expect sports betting to happen, um, you know, within the next year. Yeah, yeah, it's it's got to start by January first of twenty twenty three, and and the bet get that the <laughs> the bet is it's probably going to start a couple of couple of months sooner because people want to do it. I I'm I'm kind of wondering, wow, when are my state taxes going to drop because this is making so much money? Yeah. But then again, I, I go back to yeah, when when we were getting the Ohio lottery, that was going to solve all the problems right. then, and apparently we've still got problems. So we'll we'll see how this works. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting how this is going to play out because uh, Iowa, they you know they're looking at two billion dollars a year, and, and you know we're figuring okay, if Iowa can do two billion, we're bigger than Iowa, so we're actually estimating eight billion dollars of betting, and that's revenues, that's not profit, and and the state collects ten percent of that, so that's where the uh, the the big dollars are coming, but it, it's you know we take ten percent of the take there. It's a pretty big deal, and we're talking about even moving some of these uh, betting locations in the stadiums. Which yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm I don't crazy know. About I, that. I I don't know. I I enjoy a game of chance from time to time. I don't I don't think I would mind having those a little <laughs> a little place in the stadium to place a wager yeah. here and there. So, yeah. but yeah, you know, a I couple think... of adult beverages. What can go wrong? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. But I think you know the state of Ohio. The reason that it's so high. I mean, you know, think about it. We're a we're a fairly fairly populous state. Number one, we yeah. have a number of major pro sports teams within the state. Whether you know here locally, we have the Reds, Bengals, and SC Cincinnati, and oh, Cleveland, yeah. obviously, and Columbus has major sports in in Ohio State and and. I mean, so there's a lot of sports that go on in Ohio, and I think there is a demand for that um, oh, within our state and within our population. And I think it's smart to be um, able to capitalize on that and use it to our advantage. And you know, hopefully that will provide some benefits to us as citizens of the state of Ohio down the road, whether it's better roads, maybe it's a new bridge and all of those types of things. But you know, we're still waiting on the federal government to fix those problems. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't hold your breath. Right. Hey, let's move. Let's move on to something even more fun. Okay. How about Social Security? Oh, <laughs> well, gosh. I don't know about fun because it, it, it's a government program, so it's going to be complicated. It's not always going to make sense. But you know, uh, most people don't really understand the major factors that are involved in producing their actual dollars and cents benefit. Yeah, I think there's two major considerations that you want to keep in mind. The first one is that in order to be eligible for Social Security payments, um, you need to work for 10 years. Um, yeah. That's number one. And what they, the, and the way that they go about that is there's a formula based on your 35-year work history. So the way that Social Security calculates your benefit is they take the, the, the 35 of your highest earning years and average that out to calculate what your Social Security payment is going to be. So let's say, for instance, you only work 30 years. Well, they're going to put you're going to put up five zeros in that yeah. average for those five years that you didn't work. Um, so it does keep in mind it, it does have, have a benefit if you do work 35 years or, old, or more. So I'll probably work, you know, who knows, 45 years and those 10 years of my lowest earnings will drop off. So they will take the highest 35 year average. So, you know, those those first five years in my early 20s when I wasn't making a whole lot and didn't have two nickels to rub together, those will fall off. So it is in yeah. your favor to try to work longer in order to get an increase in your benefit. Well, I, I think that's one of the keys is every year that you work past uh, 35 years, you're getting rid of the low paying mm -hmm. years and adding, you know, hopefully your highest earning years uh, into your benefit. And it actually makes a, a pretty big difference. Uh, the flip side of that is somebody might uh, be getting an early retirement offer and wondering, wow, if I retire at 60 or 61 or 63 and, and I'm figuring on a benefit at 65, 66, 67, I wonder how bad this is going to reduce my benefits. My experience is not that much if you've got 35 years of history. No, it doesn't really move the needle that much. And, you know, yeah. you, you want to, everybody's situation is different. But the other thing is, is you want to be sure that, you know, obviously you can take it as early as 62, as late as 70. If you're still working and you're 63 years old and you have an income, it's probably not going to be in your best interest to take Social Security early while you have that income and you're continuing to enjoy the life based on the, the amount of income that you yep. have coming in from your job. Now, um, you also want to be considerate as to um, your marital status, right? So if you're married um, and let's say you're a high in income earner and your spouse is not, while you're alive, your spouse will receive 50% of the total amount of your Social Security assuming that they take it at full retirement age. In addition right. to that, if you pass on before your spouse does and you're the higher earner, they will receive your full Social Security benefit. So I had a, a couple that came in not too long ago, Steve, and he was uh, about 13 years older than his wife. And one mm -hmm. of the strategies that he wanted to implement was, hey, I'm going to delay until 70 because I'm certainly going to die before my wife, but that will give her a significant increase in her Social yeah. Security because she will get his at that higher rate because he's delayed until 70. So there's a lot of different strategies at play. You just want to make sure you figure out what's going to be best for you. I, I think one of the biggest things you've got to look at is what is your full retirement age? It's usually abbreviated FRA. And for most people, it's going to be 67 or maybe a few months before 67. You can still draw Social Security before then. It'll be reduced, obviously, but you can still draw it. The, the most important point is, will you continue working in some way, shape, or form? Because if you uh, decide to draw Social Security before your full retirement age, you're only going to be able to make 
make about 18 grand a year before uh, you start seeing a reduction in, in Social Security benefits. Whereas once you hit full retirement age, you can make a million bucks a year and, and no reduction in Social Security. Well, for now. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's the other thing you want to keep in mind. You know, I'm 40, 45 years old, so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that it will change, things will change as we move forward. So just make sure you're doing what you need to do for your own self-interest. Here's a Simply Money point. There are three major factors that affect that number on your Social Security check. It's important to understand them in order to maximize them. With interest rates set to rise soon, mortgage rates are likely to follow. Ahead at 634, a local credit expert shares how high they might go. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. Good evening. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC. I'm Steve Sprovac. Um, We've been talking an awful lot lately about the Federal Reserve, our nation's bank, uh, raising interest rates. And obviously that's that's something that's going to affect loans and and, uh, things like that. But uh, there's a lot of items that the rising interest rates are going to affect over and above uh, CDs and and savings accounts. And one of those is mortgages. So joining me tonight is Britt Scarce, mortgage loan originator for Emory Federal Credit Union right here in Cincinnati. And and Britt, I want to talk about that a little bit. Welcome to the show. And, And, you know, before the Federal Reserve even increases interest rates, they're tapering. They're beginning to slow down the purchasing of, uh, it's been $120 billion a month of various securities, including mortgage securities. Let's talk about that. How is the taper affecting your business, the mortgage business? Well, this probably affects the mortgage interest uh, rates probably the most, because one of the things that the Fed did when when the pandemic started, and something that they... uh, quite frankly, they did back in 2008, too, uh, when the uh, when we had our big crash, is they started to purchase mortgage-backed securities and treasuries. And what that did is that artificially uh, lowered the yields, the uh, yields on those securities. And those yields on those securities actually have the greatest effect on our actual mortgage rates. So, you know, it's not just when the Fed starts to raise, you know, the, the Fed funds rate, uh, by say a quarter percent or a half a percent, that will affect things that are based on prime, uh, like your home equity lines of credit sure. and your, uh, say, business loans and credit cards and that sort of thing. But really, these mortgage-backed securities uh, that they've been purchasing, that is what has been keeping our interest rates so low. And as they start to taper that, um, we're going to see interest rates rise. Uh, we could possibly see them rise as much as, you know, uh, all the way to maybe four percent by the end of the year. Well, let's let's backtrack a little bit because I, I've been doing this since the early '80s, and I know you've been in the business a while. Historically, these these mortgage rates they are at at all time lows. Uh, where where are rates right now? What what can you get a thirty year mortgage at these days? Right now, you're seeing thirty year fixed uh, mortgages in the mid uh, mid threes, mid to low threes. Uh, depends okay. on the day. Obviously, we're seeing the we're seeing the the treasury ten uh, year treasury uh, up big today. Um, but uh, you're, 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 you're still able right now uh, to get shorter-term loans, uh, 15-year loans, 20-year loans, and 10-year loans, uh, you know, in the twos still. 
So wow. right now, wow. it, you know, you still have an opportunity, you know, if, if, but I would say you want to act quickly. If, you're, if you've been on the fence to purchase a home or if you've been on the fence to refinance or pull out cash to maybe consolidate high interest rate credit cards, uh, you know, that sort of thing, um, you want to get that in, in motion sooner rather than later. So, so you you see uh, mortgage rates rising to the four percent range. Do, do you think when the Fed begins actually increasing uh, the overnight Fed funds rate that they could could even go higher? Well, they could, but I I I, I seem to I, I seem to feel that, that that you'll probably just see them gradually going toward four. Which, quite honestly, you know, in in historical terms, like it's you were saying a minute ago, Steve. Uh, yeah. I mean. You know, this still a tremendous uh, you know, environment. But what you're going to see, uh, one of the things that I've seen uh, that people need to be taking advantage of right now is the rapid appreciation in home uh, home prices. Um, we we've, we've seen about an 18 percent year over year increase in uh, housing uh, prices, and it's projected uh, that it might even go as high as you know seven percent again this year. So what yeah. that means, there's a whole lot of home equity there uh, for a lot of folks. And if they're carrying any kind of high interest rate credit card debt, uh, things of that nature, uh, it's a really good time to restructure that debt. And, you know, like I said, you can get rates right now really good, uh, low rates possibly still in the twos if you go with like a 15 or a 20 year term. And you can, you know, cut some time off your mortgage and you could really get rid of a lot of that high interest rate debt. You're listening to Simply Money on 55 KRC. I'm Steve Sprovac. Hey, and we're talking about mortgages with uh, Britt Scarce, uh, mortgage uh, uh, loan originator at Emory Federal Credit Union right here in Cincinnati. Britt, Britt I, I know you're not uh, a realtor or, or real estate expert, but w- with the, the expected rise in mortgage rates, uh, do you think this will put a little bit of a lid on this rapid uh, price appreciation uh, in, in the, the housing market? It's definitely going to slow things down somewhat, um, although here's the challenge. We still have a tremendous amount of uh, low inventory. Uh, we have way more people right now yeah. that want to purchase houses, way more people that want to purchase them than what you know, uh, is available out there to purchase. So you know, people are still going to want to live indoors you know, going forward, and uh, they're going you know, to need to be – uh, finding housing. And, you know, even though these rates are going to are popping up, that's going to slow things down a bit. I think we'll, we'll definitely kind of go from going, to, you know, 120 miles an hour down to going like, you know, 45 or 50 miles an hour. It's still going to continue, I think, to grow. And I think you hit on something. My my wife's brother is a, a realtor in Minnesota, very successful, and and he he thinks that uh, uh, we've just been so out of kilter with buyers and and sellers that th- this may go on a bit longer. Um, it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing. Are you seeing more refinancings, or are you seeing more first time home buyers, uh, new home buyers? We're still seeing a lot of both. Um, we are seeing a lot of folks right now, as I was stating before, that are trying to take advantage of this equity uh, that they've, you know, uh, yeah. been able to accumulate over the last couple of years. They've been able to drop PMI insurance. You know, maybe when they bought their house a couple of years ago, they had to pay PMI. Uh, and that could PMI save a couple hundred bucks a month, off. can it? Absolutely. You know, it'll naturally fall off your loan once you pay your loan down to 78% loan to value, but that's of its original value. So, you know, if you've seen a lot of appreciation in the last couple of years, a refinance, 
uh, at these still low rates today might be a good idea because, as you said, that could be you know hundred two hundred dollars a month uh, that you save in addition to possibly being able to shave some time off your mortgage. So, so you're saying if you can get a, a higher appraisal than what you paid for the house, maybe even as little as a year ago, you can save a few hundred dollars if you qualify to, to knock P&I insurance off. That's interesting. That's right. You could knock off PMI. Uh, like I said, you could also use that home equity for consolidating and that sort of thing. But yeah. um, I'm also seeing a lot of, we're still seeing a lot of strong purchase application volume. We are still seeing a lot of people looking to purchase um, we see, we still see move up buyers. People are still building. Uh, the builders are just building like crazy. Um, and you know, now I, I will tell you that you know, with these rates going up, what that's going to affect is the buying power, especially uh, the buying power of first time home buyers. Uh, that is, you know, between the the fact that a lot of folks are having to offer at asking price or above, which is hurting first time home buyers, but also as rates start to go up, that's also uh, starting to affect first-time home buyers. I, I I don't know how you can be a first-time home buyer these days. Between pricing and you know ten percent down, twenty percent <laughs> down, it's uh, it, it's got to be one of the all-time hardest times to to buy a house um, for the first time in in your life. Um, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about. I, I've been reading FHA mortgages. Are are there are some changes occurring uh, where the costs for an FHA loan are increasing dramatically? Tell tell me what's going on there. Well, uh, FHA is is still a tremendous uh, opportunity for purchasing homes for first-time home buyers. Now, mm -hmm. FHA loans have, uh, you know, they have mortgage insurance, they have upfront mortgage insurance premiums, and they have monthly mortgage insurance premiums, which make them a little more expensive, um, you know, as far as you know, uh, the mortgage insurance is concerned. But um, um, but but FHA has has actually done a good job here recently. They're raising their their, their loan limits, uh, as has uh, the conforming loan limits, have increased. Uh, you can now get a conforming loan uh, all the way up to $647,200 and still get conventional rates. Uh, the, big, the bigger change, more so than FHA that I've seen, uh, is uh, FHFA, which is the conservator for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, one of the things that they've done that has hurt uh, second home uh, folks that are purchasing second homes is they have dramatically increased the cost for purchasing a second home. Uh, they've they've added increased uh, pricing hits, um, you know, uh, of one point uh, anywhere between one and an eighth to three and seven eighths, depending on That's how huge. much you're putting down on a second home. And so on a $300,000 mortgage, I mean, this could be as much as, you know, $4,800 or so that it's going to cost extra to purchase a second home right now. They're also increasing prices on jumbo uh, loans. So, um, you know, the, they're definitely increasing the cost of getting mortgages uh, right now. Uh, and, and that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, given the fact that we're, we're still, you know, we're seeing things starting to slow down and everything. I'm not for sure exactly why they're trying to charge all those extra fees on second homes. And and that's for all uh, mortgage lenders or 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 not? Well, anybody that's going to be selling a, a a conventional mortgage to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac is going to be subject to that pricing, those pricing hits. But if you uh, if you utilize portfolio lenders like say credit unions, um, we don't have those particular hits. If we're going to keep a loan in our portfolio, we don't have to charge those particular hits. 
Bottom line is a lot of changes going on in the mortgage industry and, and uh, uh, certainly expecting to see some increases in, in mortgage rates. Um, Britt Scarce, uh, loan originator at Emory Federal Credit Union, thank, thanks very much for joining us. You've been listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Steve Sprovec. It's the latest trend in medicine, and we're a little bit concerned. Coming up, we'll weigh in on do-it-yourself health care. Sometimes saving more money seems overwhelming. Sometimes you just need a little motivation. Tonight, how saving just an extra $1,000 a year can make all the difference in the world. Joining me now is Andy Schaefer, a chartered financial consultant for our Allworth Financial team. Andy, you know, we get wrapped up in, in it takes a lot of money to retire and, you know, how can we accomplish this? And, and you know, maybe we need to break it down in smaller bites. You know, yeah. even a thousand bucks a year can make a difference. Yeah, I think baby steps is the, is the way to go. You know, just start getting in good habits. You know, when I was early in my career, um, you know, I just tried to put a little bit away, whether it was just $25 out of my paycheck, you know, you start to get in those habits and you might miss that yeah. money, um, you know, for, a, for a couple months and notice it. But after a while, you kind of adjust your, your approach in your life. And, you know, one of the strategies that I implemented was every year that I got a little bit of a raise, let's say it was three or 4%, I might reward myself by keeping a percent for myself, but then taking another two or 3% and adding that into my 401k and saving a little bit more there. So, you know, you want to make sure you reward yourself for the good habits that you get in, um, but every little bit counts. And if you can start with a, just a small denomination, um, that will begin to help you have good habits and increase that value over time. Well, and we, we've talked about that all the time on this show about um, consider next pay raise, just uh, forgetting that you even got it. And and if you get a 2% pay raise, just put 2% more in your 401k, because if you, if you don't see it, you don't spend it. And it can make a big difference. Let, let, let's break this down to dollars and cents, though. Um, three bucks a day. 85 bucks a month, okay, 1000 bucks a year. That, that's a cup of coffee. Um, what difference would that make? Well, I, you know, and that's the thing about it is, is you don't realize how much these small dollar amounts make. So let's say if you invest an extra 1000 bucks for five years, right? So once again, $3 a day, um, cup of coffee. If, and if we assume, assume, let's say, an average annual rate of return of about 10%, you're looking at a little bit over $6,000. Um, if for 10 years, if you continue that on, you're looking at it close to $16,000, 20 years, you're looking at 58,000 and 30 years, you'd have 165. So, yeah. you know, those are ballpark numbers, but the point is, is just by doing a little bit, it can have a humongous impact on your overall financial help and your financial plan. Well, and I, I think that's the key is that, all right, a thousand bucks a year sounds like a lot of money, but you know, you break it down monthly or daily three, uh, three bucks a day. Um, what difference is that going to make? If you've got $165,000 more in your 401k or savings account 30 years down the road because you started doing this at age 30, um, that's an extra five or 600 bucks a month that, right. that you're living on. And I know a lot of 60 and 65 and 70 year olds that would love to have an extra five, Absolutely. 600 bucks a month. You know, it's, it's, it, it's, it's big money. And that's, that's the power of compounding. So, so where do you find Three bucks a day. Where do you find a thousand bucks a year, Andy? Uh, I think you know you can look at your general budget. Obviously, there's there's a lot of things that we splurge on, but you know one of the things that I did not too long ago is I checked all my subscriptions on my Apple phone, right? And there were some things on there that <laughs> I I had forgotten Forgot about. all for about. You. Oh yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. you know I was probably able to delete um, you know five or six different items that probably saved me forty to sixty bucks a month, right? Yeah. So think about that. And I'm. I'm you know, maybe I'm a, a a terrible example of that, but I'm sure everybody has something like that where they can find some extra dollars that they can add to their overall 
uh, savings by just cutting back on some of that pork? Well, you know, we hate the B word. We hate we hate the word budget. But, you know, I, I, I like to track, you know, OK, where's the money going? You know, um, how much do I take out of the, the bank or the credit union just for pocket money? Or, you know, how much did we spend last month on on uh, just going out to eat and and just know where the dollars go? And that's that's the key for me, at least, is just track trends. I don't beat myself up. I don't try to save every every dime out there or track every dime, but just, you know, trends. And, and if there's an extra 30, 40 bucks going out the door that I just wasn't paying attention to and I don't need to spend it, that's easy. So here, the Simply Money point is saving, it can sound hard, but looking at the difference, saving just an extra thousand bucks a year could make should be a pretty powerful motivator. Coming up, we've seen the do-it-yourself trend in homes, investing your money, but what about health care? The good and the bad of you taking the reins from your doctor. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Steve Sprovec. You know, we're, we're two years into a pandemic. It's strained health systems. It's made booking doctor's appointments next to impossible. It's not unusual for a week or two uh, wait to get in unless it's a major crisis. Um, and some patients are providing more of their own care at home. Joining me now is Andy Schaefer, a chartered financial consultant for our Allworth financial team. A- Andy, this, this is interesting. We saw it in our business decades ago, do it yourself, and we're starting to see it in in the healthcare system now. Yeah, I um, I kind of neglected going to the doctor for a number of years, and I finally, you know, started getting to my 40s. I said, you know, I probably should get a checkup. And, Not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things that um, I was able to acquire was an app on my phone that has all my vital information, my statistics, and all those types of things, which can be can be good. It can be beneficial. However, Steve, I was talking to you the other day, and you know, you were talking about trying to get in to see a doctor, and it seems like that's not easy to do all the time, right? It, it, it's not. Ann's had a cough and, and you know, uh, okay, if it's not an emergency, uh, let's do Teladoc. That seems to be the latest. And she was able to get the prescription and everything that she needed through uh, Teladoc. Um, and I think more healthcare providers and, and insurance companies, they're leaning that way because it's more efficient use of the doctor's time. But it's a big shift. It's getting onto consumer shoulders, what used to be in the doctor's office. Well, and I think, you know, I my, my wife has some friends where you know, they, they have a cough and they get online and they start to self-diagnose themselves. And all of a sudden they say, well, I only got 15 days to live. Right. So <laughs> yeah. your doctor loves hearing, hey, <laughs> right. I figured this out on WebMD. Right. right. You know, so you want to be careful with that as well to try to, you know, figure out what you're going to, you know, what your illness is. And so I think it can be successful as if you use it in accordance and in, um, um, in, in junction with your with your doctor themselves. Yeah. So, you know, don't. Don't just take over being a doctor with zero training. Still talk to your doctor, but uh, obviously there's a big trend going on, and and a lot of these tests. And I think COVID is one of the big uh, big uh, uh, areas where we've kicked off uh, at home testing. I I, I mean I, we've tested at home for COVID. I'm sure a lot of people out there have if they can get it. So we're uh, it's going to continue. But don't forget, still go see your doctor. Use them as the expert first. You've been listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station.